Hello, and welcome to The Scott Mize Show, a podcast focused on health, diet, bodybuilding, and philosophy. I interview experts, doctors, coaches, and N equals one case studies to answer your questions about improving health, achieving your best physique, and making sustainable progress. We'll cover topics from carnivore and ketogenic diets, to bodybuilding, to life philosophy, and everything in between. Enjoy the show. Are you looking to lose fat, gain muscle, or improve your health, or all of the above? Interested in working with me one-on-one? Stop spinning your wheels, because I offer personalized coaching where I can help you reach your goals, whether it be fat loss, muscle building, improving your health, or all of the above. I provide tailored nutrition, training, and supplementation advice, one or all of them together, with 24-7 ongoing support to help guide you every step of the way. You can email me at scott.mize at gmail.com, click the link in the description of this episode to schedule your free consult call to go over your goals, answer questions with no obligation. Let's take your physique or health journey to the next level. This episode is brought to you by Optimal Carnivore. A lot of people ask me about organ meats. Do you need to eat organ meat? How, how do I eat organ meat? And Optimal Carnivore was created by carnivores for carnivores. They created a unique organ complex from grass-fed animals in New Zealand. It includes nine different organs, liver, brain, heart, thymus, kidney, spleen, pancreas. And taking just six capsules is the same as eating an ounce of raw organ meat from the butcher. I've been personally using Optimal Carnivore for years. My wife and I. I use it almost every single day. It's great when I don't have fresh organs available, don't feel like eating them, don't feel like cooking them. Or if I'm traveling, I know I can get a variety of super high quality organs daily. Um, And they have lots of different products from their beef liver product to their organ complex to their brain product and their, their bone and marrow product. They have excellent products filled with highest quality ingredients and you can get 10% off your order and support the show by going to the link in the description of this episode and using the code carnivore10 at checkout. That's carnivore10 to save and support the show. Thank you. Jonathan Griffiths returns to the podcast today at composition underscore consultant on Instagram. He's a successful carnivore bodybuilder and brilliant nutrition consultant who helps people get in their best shape of their lives while getting healthier at the same time. He has been in the nutrition industry studying carefully for nearly 15 years. He's also undertaken several courses surrounding human health, including medical science and a nutrition and herbal science certification. He has been using the most up-to-date scientific literature and experience from working with hundreds of individuals with unique health situations. Jonathan puts out tons of free and valuable information on his Instagram and YouTube channel, both under the handle Composition Consult. Welcome back, Jonathan. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me. It's nice to get around to part two. Yeah. Um, in the works for a little while now, but I'm glad to be able to do it. And under your new um, setup, your new format of podcasting, so I'm, I'm glad to be part of this. Yeah, yeah. The podcast name has changed, but um, the content and the uh, format are, are hopefully very similar for folks. Um, but uh, first, I wanted to say congratulations on reaching 5,000 subscribers on on YouTube. I know that was a big milestone for you and a lot of work. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's um as much as like it's it's good to do interviews and 
you know, what's, what I find funny is you spend a lot of time making these videos that are like 10 minutes long. Sometimes you wish, oh, I just wish I spoke to an expert who specialised in this one thing to go through it for an hour, but, you know, it's, um, it's good fun. I'm glad to be able to do it. Yeah. And, and I've found um, your videos really interesting, like the different topics you cover, folks you interview. Um, you really go into some of the like topics of bodybuilding that not a lot of other people are covering, bodybuilding and diet. Um, and so I, I found it really um, fun to follow along and watch your videos. Sure, thank you. Yeah, I tried to go into the details where I can, but I'm kind of trying to cross that um bridge i guess with the bodybuilding slash carnival diet fitness kind of space yeah i know the purpose of your channel is pretty similar i'm guessing so we're trying to do something very very niche very unusual but i think yeah. that there is a way to do it you know so absolutely um and one thing that's been cool is you've been like interviewing a lot of um pro bodybuilders ifbb pros um and people who do carnivore and bodybuilds um, so I wanted to ask you, like, what are some of the differences you see in people doing bodybuilding using a carnivore approach, um, like in terms of their outcomes, in terms of their health, in terms of the sustainability? Um, what are some of the things you've learned from talking to folks? I think a lot of the times the mindset changes. Um, typically, the, the average bodybuilder is thinking, okay, if I do more, I'll get more out of it. As we know, we age, our bodies aren't the same as they were a decade ago. So we have to kind of tape things back a bit. Well, sometimes not taper it back, just change it. So we have to change um, how we apply ourselves in the gym, how we manufacture our, you know, diet practices, things like that. Um, some key points I'd say is the people that bodybuild on the carnival diet tend to be happier because <laughs> they're healthier. They're not spending an extra $200 per month on kidney stack support supplements and liver health and this, that, and the other. Um, so it's, it's interesting, you know, like people sort of align um, bodybuilding with being healthy, but then by default, they're sort of saying, well, I'm not actually healthy because I have to spend $200 a month on, you know, all these like vitamin, mineral supplements and things to make the kidneys work better, flush detox stuff. So yeah, it's, it seems like a simple approach and cheaper approach. So I'm all for it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really important. Um, bodybuilding can be something that improves our health a lot can also be something that takes over our lives um, and makes us less healthy. Um, so it's awesome to see people doing it in a way that is both health promoting and um, getting them to whatever their physique goals are at the same time and enjoying it. That's huge. Um, exactly. Yeah. And, and another thing that I've seen on your channel is, you know, you've talked a lot with Bart K and others about like, different forms of training, um, time under tension. How has uh, your training philosophy evolved? We'll maybe start with like how your training started and, and how it's evolved over the last several years. And then more recently in the last year or so, what are some things you've learned, some things you've tried um, and, and found effective? Oh, well, yeah. So I started like a lot of people in the gym, just, you know, two, three sets of this, two, three sets of that. Almost going around the circuit, you do your bicep curls, your chin-ups, pull-ups, your crunches, and you go on the treadmill for half an hour and have a little run or whatever. Um, it worked to a point, but I think I never really applied that intensity until maybe the last few years. Um, and I'd say I started off maybe doing 30 sets per workout when I was about 15 years old, 14 years old. And I'm doing like between 6 and 10, but I'm doing in that 6 to 10 work, work working sets. 
is working. So, so it's doing hard work. So it's intensity, it's hard. Um, so I'm not doing 15, 20 sets anymore. You just can't. When you train to this level of intensity, it's not possible. Um, now, could I do it? Yes. But then I'd end up hitting the muscles less frequently. So for me, more now, six to 10 sets, um, zero warm ups, unless I feel like I have to for some reason. Um, and just every set's as pretty much hard as I can take it um, within limits of doing it safely, trick form, things like that. Um, what else? I kind of want to say, I like to train like a lot of people that I love bodybuilding. I love going to the gym. Like for me, I could do 15, 20 sets per workout, but I'd only be doing two workouts per week. So there's so much anticipation between each workout. So I think I found a good flow now, three, four, maybe only a very rare occasion, five sessions per week, six to 10 sets, hard sets, just um, semi-intuitive, semi-instinctive, like how I train. Um, I still track things, log things, have an idea in my head of how I'm going to go about achieving my goals through bodybuilding, but at the same time, I want to enjoy it as well. So sometimes I'll think my calves are pretty smashed. Um, I'm going to give it another few days to train them again. But sometimes I think, you know what, they're not sore from the last workout and I've built up strength recently. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to gain them again. So kind of how I go about it nowadays. Interesting. And um, how, how has the way you train clients or you recommend training for clients changed as well over the last several months, years? Another good question. Yeah. So I think when I first started working with clients, it's usually a case of quite a generic sort of routine as in, you know, be specified to what equipment they had, you know, customize what their goals are, things like that. But it was usually like two to three sets, sometimes four sets of, you know, 10 to 12. I kind of realized now, um, I'm not changed quite a bit. I'm thinking, okay, the absolute novice that doesn't have my good mind to connection, they're going to benefit from more sets. They're going to learn the movement, learn to activate the muscles more frequently. Um, you learn through repetition. So that's often something which I'll include in someone who's just starting up. Now, a trainer that's a bit more experienced, I'm going to have them doing maybe two sets of, I'd guess somewhere between like six and 20 repetitions, depending on what their body's like at the time. Um, what I'll try and get them to do is just control the weight. So I'm not focused on explosive lifts. It's just a case of moving it with your muscles, under load, under tension, allowing it to you know contract the muscle fibers and stretch them out. So it's nothing revolutionary. It's pretty standard stuff. Um, but I've, I've been more of a proponent recently of tracking time under load or time to tension. So I found that you can still build the same amount of muscle regardless of how, of how long you kind of train. So if you're doing, say, 40 seconds or, say, 120 seconds or two minutes, the results for me seem to be the same, providing that I hit that level of intensity where I can no longer move the weight safely. So there's more than one sort of road, road to Rome, you might say. Um, so for me, I'm kind of thinking, well, I want to do this for a long period of time. You know, I'm 28 years old. I want to train for a long period of time. So I'm thinking, well, I can get really strong. I don't have an issue lifting heavy weight, but heavy weight, then doing heavier weight than heavy weight. It gets to a point where it taxes the body so much, at least the joints. So for me, if I can make a lighter weight feel heavy, then it's even better. So I can still build the same amount of muscle. And that's the goal. So it's... When it comes to bodybuilding, guys, you're just trying to make the muscle work, make it hard. So if you've got more left in the tank, you haven't done enough. Um, that's something we might go into, because I know you've been interviewing some guys recently, like talking about you know, reps in reserve and RP yeah. scales and things like that. So, Yeah, I, I echo that philosophy completely. I um, am always trying to use the least amount of weight possible to stimulate my muscles. And 
I, I think especially, you know, when you have something like, I don't have it to the same degree you two, but um, a back injury um, or a series of back injuries, um, you you really are like, this is just so debilitating, both in terms of my training as well as my life and quality of life. I want to find ways to use less and less and less weight um, and stimulate the muscle. Like I'm not in the gym. A lot of people say that their goal, I did a post about this a long time ago. People are like, I'm in the gym to get stronger. They say that, but I don't think most of them actually mean that. Like they think getting stronger is this goal that will help them in life in general. Um, Mm. And a lot of like studies on longevity and all cause mortality are like, you need to be strong and you need to have good grip strength. And that's because it's hard to measure muscle mass. That's the only reason that those metrics come out on top in terms of longevity. So really, if you want to live a long time, like you want to build muscle and retain muscle and bone and, and lean mass. And um, yes, to some extent, you do have to get stronger to do that. You have to progressively overload. But if you step into a gym and you lift a weight, there's a way to do it, which is I'm going to try to lift the absolute most amount of weight I can for the most amount of reps. And there's a way to do it, which is I'm going to try to stimulate this muscle as much as possible. Um, And those are actually very different in practice, I find, at least at the advanced level. Maybe it's more similar for beginners. And um, especially like I see my strength in certain muscles almost as a detriment. Like my legs are so strong. Um, Like I can easily do like a five second negative pause at the bottom and do like four or five plates for reps on the hacks on the Cybex hack squat. And that sucks. Like I wish I, I only needed two plates to do that. Um, like I'm very weak in my chip in my chest and start in terms of my pressing movements. And that's awesome. That means I don't have to lug up, you know, 120 pound dumbbells every time I'm, I'm pressing. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's just really interesting how, uh, other people come to that same philosophy over time. Yeah. I think we kind of get to a point where we, we understand the wear and tear it is on our body. So most gyms out there nowadays will generally tend to carry about maybe 120 pound dumbbells. Yeah. But the time you're lifting that way, unless you're like Ronnie Coleman, you're probably better off in a machine in a lot of cases. Yeah. Um, and there's limitations for everything in training, but I do a lot of stuff with machines nowadays and I think I'd still do it even if I wasn't like so messed up and injured. I'd still probably do the same thing. I've found that my injury rate is so low. I've only ever been injured really um, by dropping a dumbbell on my toe. Oh. And like other things outside the gym. So I've, I've been quite fortunate, Touchwood, but. Yeah, that's good. And how has the recovery from your spinal fusion been? Yeah, so the um, incision area is much better now. It seems pretty much bang on. Um, the only issues I have really are I bend down too much, like right down to ground level. It seems to be that no matter how mobile, flexible, flexible I tried to be, um, it's just that sacrum, the. the you know, the tailbone part of my, my body just doesn't like the tension at the right at the bottom. So it means I've had to change my chain, training a bit. Frustrating, some, someone like you probably likes to go to the top position and go right down to the bottom and go back up and all that sort of thing. So it's a bit frustrating. So I've got limitations there. Um, the new thing is the right hip is very painful. There's like a stabbing pain pretty much most of the time, if not all the time. Oh. Um, it does wake me up in the night and I did get it from surgery, I'm pretty sure. Um, cause when I got out of bed from surgery, I was, the right glute was like fired, like door, like someone's just like got you there. That's what it feels like. But, um, 
been trying different medications out and I'm on something a bit more appropriate now, which is which is better for me. So um, I've had epidurals and injection things to try and fix it, but I've not had much luck yet. So I'm just um, waiting out. I can still train somewhat and just, I'm just going to be so careful in recovery. So every decision I make day to day is based around recovery, really. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure um, having like a low inflammatory diet, carnivore diet has also helped with your recovery overall um, tremendously. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's made it a lot easier. Like I could train eight days post spinal fusion with no issues. I mean, I wow. couldn't do like, like weights, but I could, you know, do a push up against some other like bed or something. Um, a bit use my little Zimmer frame thing to move around. Not too bad, but yeah, it's, it's a long recovery process. But I'm looking at longevity and sort of thinking, what can happen to me now? I can enjoy the rest of my life, or I can end up like Ronnie Coleman, minus the eight Olympia titles. Um, <laughs> I'm using crutches and sticks and loads of medication all the time. Yeah. So I'm thinking, I'll have it done now, sort myself out, and just be really careful. So use this almost as a warning sign. So it's probably, probably saved me from a lot of grief in the future, perhaps. So, yeah. Yeah. You've got a, a long life ahead of you and it's really good that you can have that mindset because a lot of people just want to rush back and end up doing, setting themselves further and further back. Mm, for sure. Yeah. You, you'll be patient with these things. There's no, yeah. there's no rush. I mean, I'm looking at maybe 40, 50 more years of lifespan. I'd like to train for most of them. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully. Me too. Um, yeah, so I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, um, like, it, it seems like you're very much in the camp of high-intensity fatiguing the muscles as much as possible. Um, what are your thoughts on reps in reserve um, and, and using that type of methodology as well? I think a lot of people struggle to use it just because the only way that you know reps reserves is if you do a lot of calculations and track a lot of data up to that point so you'd know okay say i fail on 100 kilos and fell at 10 reps okay that's that's it it's my maximum um now if you're still you're not moving at all lying in bed that's zero so how are you going to work out what 90 percent is you know maybe 90 percent effort feels like you know seven reps maybe the last you know the last two three reps don't feel that bad it's just you grind through it um and sometimes, although subjective measures are useful for tracking things, I think sometimes just be a bit more objective. Um, and I think some of the issues with this are the studies at hand aren't very well rated, not well crafted. So there's data out there which is saying, you know, you can do 45 sets, and that's the best. It's like, what about every permutation of that? So what if you spread that out a few, few weeks further? Um, what if you took that study what participants are trained to failure each time, it's going to change drastically. What I think they would need to do to sort of really underpin what is blood science is get some pro-level bodybuilders have been trained for a really, really long time. Put them in, you know, group A, group B, like a hundred of each, I don't know, um, and get them to train, say, 10 sets or tra train 20 sets, but then get the 10 set ones to train really, really hard. So no reps in reserve at all. And you get the other ones just to train, you know, the recommendation thing now that some people are saying is like two to three reps in reserve. Um, and what they'll probably find is to get much bigger past that point, you have to in incrementally add to that stimulus. They'll find they'll probably maintain their mass on, you know, this intensity, you know, more sets, but to get much better, you really have to push it. So one person who comes to mind with this is someone called Jordan Peters from the UK. 
And he's a bodybuilder, massive, massive guy, like probably one of the biggest guys around that I'd ever see. Um, and he's just he just trains pretty much to at least technical muscular failure. But he also controls all his reps, and he's not doing twenty sets per body part. Um, he's doing something like you know, broadly speaking, maybe ten to fifteen. Um, but he's had to leverage volume so much because his risk of injury is so high from lifting such heavy weight. So he's had to add in intensify methods and things like that. So I'm not the biggest fan of reps and reserve just because it has so many limitations. I think there's better ways to go about it. Um, also, there's only one bot pro bodybuilder right now that uses reps and reserve as a measurement. So one out of so many. I know it's not a case of like, you know, you should listen to what all the pro bodies do because they do stupid stuff, you know, but sometimes you can kind of look at the anecdotes and think they've all kind of realized they have to train pretty hard. Um, there's always going to be a strong genetic component to it as well. I mean, I, I grew like a weed when I first started training, but now not so much. I have to try it train much harder. A lot of people will find that. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm more of a fan of just training at least to technical muscular failure when you can't move the weight, um, any more safely, then just leave it at that. And if you want to add to that, you can do your drop set, dress, pause, you know, force negatives, force positive, whatever it is, you know, you can add to it basically. So yes, yeah, that's, that's kind of my standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I think, um, my thoughts are one, like, like you said, most people don't know what failure is. And so when you, when you tell them to train to failure, they're actually training to two or three reps in reserve. Um, you know, they stop when it really burns or they start when the stop, when the weight starts to slow down, they get scared. Um, and so if you tell them to train with a few reps in reserve, they're going to actually be training with like six or more reps in reserve. Um, so that's a problem. So I think for most people, it's it's hard to, to do. The other thing, I think most people use reps in reserve without knowing it. Like you mentioned that a lot of pro bodybuilders train to failure. I would argue that most of them actually use reps in reserve and say they're training to failure. <laughs> the only people... Mm -hmm. Uh, it, it's actually, if you look at a lot of pro bodybuilders train, um, like Samson, for instance, he stops way before failure. And, yeah. um, you know, maybe it's because he, he has such a strong, um, connection with the muscles that like way before he gets to failure, it's just burning like crazy and his muscles are pumped like crazy. And like for him, he doesn't need to go to failure. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people say they train to failure and they don't. So whether you know it or not, you're, you may be using RIR. Um, like RIR, I don't think of it as a technique. I think of it more as like a definition. Like you're using a certain amount of weight, you're using a certain amount of steps, and you're using a certain RIR, whether you know it or not. Um, I think for most people, the recommendation should be get as many reps as you can. Um, I think that's a really good way to train. Um, but I think... If you get to a certain level and you find when you train to failure, you're so fatigued or you're getting injured more or you find you have to deload all the time or you have to cut your volume down so much that you're basically doing a strength training program, um, it can be intelligent to play with um, backing off a little bit and then working your way to failure over like weeks. Um, that's the way I train is basically like I'll deload, I'll I'll train pretty easy for a week and then I'll come in the gym and the first week back, I'll basically train until 
the reps slow down. And then each week I'll like add five to 10 pounds or a rep to an exercise. And inevitably I'll reach failure um, because you just can't do that forever. And then I'll know, okay, I'm done. Like time to deload um, because th there's no nothing more I can do the next week. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the way I train. Um, but I think uh, most pro bodybuilders are pretty stupid. <laughs> and uh, like, if you told them to train that way, they would just like get confused. Like there's a reason most bodybuilders, even the ones who eat a lot of carbs, don't use macros. Like they have to get a prescribed meal plan from their coach of like, this is exactly what you're eating at each meal because they're too dumb to do macros. Like, <laughs> um, they want to eliminate the thought process. Yeah, they. Yeah. It becomes more of a challenge. Like I've noticed myself, if I can prescribe a diet to someone on the that's on the, on the carnival way of eating, it's much easier. We pick, yeah. you know, one to five different foods. Here's the grams, or there you go. Put it in your fridge and eat that within a day. That's so much easier than like, oh, I've got forty grams of carbs left. Like, I mean, you can have this much rice, yeah. then this much vegetable. You know, it's it's a nightmare to track. So. Exactly. That's one of the benefits of the carnival diet. So it's so much easier. Totally, totally agree. Um, absolutely. And um, you've been doing a lot of interesting videos around like kind of calling out different people in the fitness industry, which I think is really cool. Um, like saying Mike Israel is confused about carbs and um, uh, I think uh, Tristan Lee bulking on a plant-based diet. What are some of the things you're seeing in the fitness industry um, that you think are misguided um, or possibly um, harmful to people they're they're communicating to. I think a lot of it starts from the fact that people don't realize what their own potential is. That could be very a good thing or a bad thing. You know, they don't understand the limit. Um, now, if you look at, for example, in that case of Tristan Lee, he's a young um, Asian American gentleman. I think he's about 21, 22 years old, something. He's got quite a bit of muscle. He is muscular by all means. Um, he is also pretty ripped. But I think it's not that he's his diet before which the carnival diet was um, ineffective. It's just that he's really hit that mark where to get much bigger, you know, you end up having to use a load of juice. You have to end up eating a lot more food. And I think with him, his lifestyle, how busy he is, the, the idea that he has to be so lean on camera all the time, that probably played a part in it. So that's why he's to change his ways um i think a lot of the time as well sometimes when people get hooked on what they see everyone else doing you know you get big you have to eat the marcus rule diet which is like six meals a day chicken rice and you know the reality is most pro bodies are eating pizza and donuts most days you know you can't eat that much rice it's it's um it's too much you know clean it's like clean food so it's hard to eat that much food um so i think a lot of times it's lack of transparency when you actually go onto the Instagram, you know, social media and you see what guys are eating. Most days it's like donuts and pizzas and stuff. It's it's very apparent to me. Um, so I think ultimately people are trying to achieve something that maybe isn't achievable by them. Um, they're looking for all the routes around it. I think some of the most obvious things as well, like, oh, you need carbs to build muscle. Um, well, yeah, I, I did build most of my muscle on a diet that happened to have carbohydrates in it. I feel like if I got rid of those carbohydrates in the past and replaced them with fat, I'd have achieved the same result, if I'm honest. Um, I really honestly think that it sounds a bit like contradictory to what the mainstream media would say, but I, I don't I don't believe that you need carbohydrates to build substantial amounts of muscle. Um, an example of that is where I 
built my most muscular physique yet. According to my scales that I've been using for years now, um, you know, the bioimpedance sort of scales. And I sort of was like, well, I've done this. Drinking raw milk, eating eggs, having a beef brisket, having like whey protein, you know, stuff like that, like butter, basic stuff like that. And I managed to build my most muscular physique without adding carbohydrates in. So I almost feel like if I did, you know, do a carb up sort of thing, um, inflame my body with loads of um, additional glycogen and inflammatory water and things like that, then yeah, I'd probably make that number even higher. It'd be not a realistic number. It wouldn't amount to anything have I had I taken that carbohydrate out um, for a longer period of time. But yeah, I think some of the other things as well is the idea that you have to train so often. I used to train something like 15 to 20 hours per week when I was younger. So I was, I was an athlete, so I was a sprinter. Um, I'd do a lot of activity. I'd cycle to from the gym. I'd be at the gym and do cardio. I'd be there five, six days a week, sometimes seven. I didn't get more results. I mean, I was lean, but I wasn't getting much bigger in connection to like how hard I was training. So I wasn't getting much bang for my buck. Um, so I think oftentimes people overdo it. And that's kind of where I think Tristan Lee went. So I think he said somewhere, I'm not exactly sure, but something like 25,000 steps is doing a day. I've had three postmen that I've worked with in the last few months. And they're doing about 25 to 30,000 steps per day. And that's their job to walk around, deliver a post. That tells me he just needs to calm down and stop doing so much. That's how he's going to get in better, better shape into like building more muscle. But um, one other thing I'd like to mention is this is quite a useful tool to people. Um, either tool's not perfect, but it does give people an indication. Is to work out someone's fat-free mass calculation. So that's something I find quite useful for people that are questioning, you know, can I get much bigger? Can I hit my plateau or not? But you can work it out. So you can go on, I think the website's like fatfreemasscalculator.org or something. And you put in your body fat, your height, your weight, and it'll say, yeah, you're about fat-free mass index of X amount. I think I recommend to people to be about 20 to 21 for their male. Um, then you're looking at the bodybuilders once you get to like past 25, 26, 27. You can say, you know, by by standard, by measure, that you know, you're, you're very muscular, you're not very muscular. So people can use that as a quick, quick little um reference range, I think. So it's quite useful as well. Yeah, that's that's a really good guide. Um and what what are some things um and by the way, I, I completely agree that, you know, for the vast majority of people, you're gonna reach the same end destination whether you eat carbs or not, building muscle. Um, I think the body is just so efficient at converting protein to glucose and the amount you need, and you really adapt to it. And when I was bodybuilding full carnivore, I had no problems with energy and doing long bodybuilding workouts. Like my endurance was great. Um, and it's because my body, it had been three three years of carnivore and several years before that of low carb and my body was just so efficient at using uh, protein um, for glucose that it felt it felt great and my muscles were full I had no problem with pumps or anything like that so I definitely think it's 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 a great way to go um, and uh, Jonathan how um what are some things you've learned of from working with clients the last few years like things that you needed to tweak? for different individuals, ways in which people are different and you need to customize. I'm curious um, how that's been for you. Yeah, I think the hardest thing to do when initially working with someone is to work out 
how much food they need to maintain what they're currently doing. Um, so unless someone comes to me and says, okay, Jonathan, I want you to get me in shape within four weeks, 99% of the time, I'm going to put them on a, what I think be relatively baseline sort of diet. So something which can work out what food they tolerate well and how much of it they can eat and not get basically. Um, and there's obviously different cases where someone will have to sort of body fat a bit faster. So it'd be more aggressive approach. Um, the main thing I've noticed really is just to keep things somewhat consistent. So I think as soon as you start giving people very complicated plans where you're up, upping and raising and lowering and doing all the stuff with different foods and putting different grams amounts and things complicates it for a lot of people. Um, one thing I'm not the biggest fan of because it's not that simple is because, well, is it's the fact that I don't really recommend staggering food intake. Um, I think your food requirement is about equal most days. Obviously, it goes up a little bit sometimes. You know, if you've had a if you work out Monday and it's the end day you work out, yeah, you're going to probably have a bit more protein that day, but the rest of the day should be somewhat similar. Um, and it is a, you know, 36, 40 hour sort of period anabolic window, so to speak. So, yeah, I think you shouldn't be too focused on change everything so, such a minute level. I think that's where people go wrong. It, it, it creates like decision fatigue, you know? Like a lot of people that I've worked with, they just want, what do I eat and how much do I eat? Okay. Put it in the fridge, cook it, eat it the next day, you know, check in a week later. Um, and that's kind of how I work. And it seems to work really well, as long as I just stick with the diet. Um, I think as well, a lot of people sometimes have issues with previous coaches where they don't give them a diet that they can actually sustain. Um, you know, a lot of people I work with are people probably 15% body fat for males trying to get to like 10%. And they're just doing that through just very gradually increasing the food deficit. So I might start them off on 160 protein, 160 fat, hypothetically. Usually I'll just reduce the fat and it'll work quite well. Um, people start having issues with like their digestion, in which case I change it. Sometimes there's more tools and box that you can use. So I think just doing the, it's a bit like training. It's like minimal effective dose, still you need someone to reap reward. And make it as little stress as possible. I think people try to overcomplicate it. Um, and I've had people recently, I mean, one lady I've coaching reach recently, um, uh, a phone consult, she gets through to me probably every two to three weeks. And she's drunk her waist by, it looks like about eight inches in about six weeks. Wow. <laughs> yeah, like six weeks. And it, she looks physically very different, like a different person. I didn't even ask her how much weight she lost, but I didn't care. Like you can see, she probably had a swollen liver, maybe some internal damage, but her visceral fat's gone right down. Um, and it's just really simple approaches. She's not measuring anything. She's not tracking things. She's saying, okay, I'm going to put my, my lamb here, my, you know, pork belly, whatever it is. I have this much butter. She's not measuring, like tracking, like meticulously. She's just eating a sensible amount of food, you know, applying some very simple, basic home workout stuff, no equipment. You know, 15, 20 minutes, three times a week. We've made trends broke because she's stuck with the diet. And that's what I think the key thing is. Um, the diet itself is very easy to make for a lot of people. I think fine tuning past the point of the very, well, lean to very lean is where you get the issues, but it's where a good coach is very helpful, in my opinion. Yeah, it's all about consistency. And I think people very often want to make that drastic change. Um, or change a bunch of variables at once, um, or when you're coaching them, you know they're uh, not satisfied if, if you don't if you aren't changing something every week, 
Um, but it really is all about consistency and just you're almost tricking the body into thinking nothing is happening. <laughs> uh, well, small changes are happening um, because your body wants to return to homeostasis. So you don't want to put it under too much stress or that just halts progress completely. Um, so yeah, I can, I can tell you're, you're really helping people with that. Yeah. It's, it's always a simple approach and most, I'd say 95% of my clients have at least two autoimmune diseases. Wow. So I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to throw them the deep end deal or just like tapering away, you know, getting the results they want very slowly. Yeah. Yeah. That's very intelligent. Well, Jonathan, this has been fantastic. It's really great to connect and chat with you again. Thank you so much for taking the time. Um, where can folks follow you, um, get in touch with you if they want to work with you. And I'll of course have links to everything in the show notes as well. Well, thank you as well. Also for having me. It's been a pleasure as always. Um, where you can find me, compositionconsultant.com. Um, I've got links to coaching packages, some ebooks, diet training plans and consultations. All pretty much pretty affordable in my opinion. Um, it seems to be in the UK, it's a bit cheaper than it is in the US for the most part. Um, pretty good availability for the most part. Instagram as well, which is composition consultant. My YouTube is Carnival Muscle, but you can find me um, at the, the link composition consultant you should find me if you just type my name in um been on other people's channels as well so you usually pop up somewhere yeah excellent great well thanks again jonathan hope you have a great day thank you for listening to the show you can find the scott my show on instagram youtube facebook and twitter please leave a comment like review or share the podcast with your friends or followers it helps more people find the show